This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Bookslut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. It's so good to see your actual face without a screen. (laughs) Face. I love the face. Aw, thanks. I love your face. Aw, so cute. I mean, like, it's nice through Zoom, but it's not, it's not quite though. the same. I mean, it's, it's fine through Zoom, I think, is it? Or I just, I spilled wine on your bed. <laughs> it's not Sorry. the first time. So I ended up reading a graphic novel. So essentially, I kind of, I wanted to talk about non-monogamy, which is what we're talking about. And I tried to find non-monogamous books and the choices were either this graphic novel that looked kind of cool or about 50,000 novels about male 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 thruples who all shapeshift into wolves and (laughs) have sex with each other it's so neat like how is that your option like I mean each their own but I mean non-monogamy is not that (laughs) weird or rare it was really interesting and I'm sure I'm sure it's just because there are things that are about non-monogamy that are not titled as such in mm. their books like because well, we've already read a few books that have it's it's come up in but just kind of like incidentally yeah so I was really trying to find something where that was the focus yeah and I also wanted to find something where the book wasn't about it wasn't weird like, it wasn't like a, ooh, this kinky threesome yeah. kind of situation. It was actually about people working through non-monogamy. And I guess, again, the reason that's not in books is probably because it's not very sexy. <laughs> it's a lot of talking. <laughs> but, so in, in my search, I a lot of people mentioned this book called Open Earth. And it's a graphic novel. And um, obviously we've... Just as a note, we've changed up the format a little bit. So we've actually published the title a bit earlier. So if anybody's read it with us, that's great. But we'll still kind of go through the plot because Sam hasn't read it or the other person hasn't read it. Um, This one was great. So it's written by Sarah Merck and it's illustrated by Eva Cabrera. Ooh, that was so, good. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so Sarah Merck is a um, writer and she's been an editor on, I think it's called Bitch Media or mm, Bitch. Yeah. It's, it's a um, feminist media outlet. And Eva is a Latina comic book illustrator. And... Is there a third? Oh, yeah, there is a third. <coughs> Don't worry, I've been tested. It's fine. <laughs> Claudia Aguirre, or Ag- Ag- yeah, yeah, Claudia Aguirre. Sorry, I apologize to our Spanish-speaking listeners. Who, yeah, a queer comic book artist and writer. So, 
they all kind of got together and did this amazing graphic novel that is essentially about a a woman called Rigo who is a I've written here a full-bodied Latina woman. Excellent. She's quite short and got big boobs, big hips. Um, and she is on a spaceship <laughs> called California. Right, okay. And I'll get a bit more into like the backstory of it, but essentially it's it's about her on this spaceship dealing with relationship structures. She was born on the spaceship, so she doesn't know anything about Earth's yeah, right. culture. Does and... the spaceship, because it's assume, assumingly... Fuck, I've already given myself away too much money. <laughs> also, <laughs> I did... I have really... This episode, I'm going to try and finish my sentences. <laughs> <laughs> so, assumedly, those on the spaceship are from Earth. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they are human, but there is a generational divide where between the people who came on the spaceship, who are called, like, Earthlings, essentially, yeah. and then the people born on the spaceship who are called first generation. Yeah, right. Because my, my immediate question is, like, the people, the Earthlings... Did they bring with them all of the assumptions and expectations of Earth society onto the ship? So it seems like it seems like it's there. They're aware of it, but they're also all of the first generation people are aware of being able to decide what they want their life to be. Well, I mean that fits into the theme of exploring non-monogamy so well. Yeah. So so we're introduced to Rigo. In this, you know, she's asleep in her pod with her parents that she shares with her parents. And um, her mum wakes her up for breakfast and she, like, turns over and she falls asleep again. And in her dream, she's, like, in this green, beautiful land and she sees a hamburger and she gets very excited about the hamburger. (laughs) I mean, fair. And then a man is kissing her and she's like, oh, yeah, baby, mm." And then a woman starts, like, touching her boob. And she's like, oh, yeah, baby. So from the very beginning... Where's the hamburger? She's eating it. Oh, perfect. In between the kisses. Sorry, that's my perfect dream scenario. I can't actually imagine anything better than that. So, like, straight off the bat, I was like, I'm on board. (laughs) Whatever you're laying down, I'm, I'm here for it. Then she, like, gets called to breakfast and she wakes up. So right from the beginning, before knowing anything about any of this context, you're kind of thrown into a young woman who's having a dream about a threesome. I thought it was kind of a good point to just be like, off the bat, what is non-monogamy? What does it mean to us? And what does it mean to kind of in, in a broader sense? So I identify as non-monogamous and I have... For about five years now, but I was I was always a little bit interested in it, but hadn't really pursued it at any point. And a guy that I dated was polyamorous, and so through that, I got involved in this situation where I was not polyamorous, and I was dating someone who was polyamorous, and trying to work through that relationship really kind of opened my eyes a lot to how I relate to people. And so that was kind of the beginning point. And now I've, I've gotten to this point where 
to me, it it just makes logical sense. (laughs) When I call myself non-monogamous, what I'm actually saying is that I'm open to any relationship structure. I'm not polyamorous. I'm not monogamous. I'm not a swinger. I'm, I'm, I'm none of these things, but open to all of these things. So to me, non-monogamy is about not expecting and assuming that monogamy is the baseline for all Mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. And that fundamentally you have two people who are individuals who have their own insecurities, their own ideas. And the idea that the insane combinations of two peoples that you have in the world all experience the same relationship style. Mm -hmm. And if that relationship style doesn't work for them, then they fail at relationships is dumb. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to clarify, I'm not saying that monogamy is dumb. Monogamy is fine. If it works for people, it's fine. But the idea that you shouldn't have a conversation about what your relationship style is, and you should just assume that you're going to be monogamous because that's what we're told that we need to be. Because that's the default. Yeah, is um, dumb. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And I think, like, you make a really good point. There was an unlearning process in that because I think we're all kind of... We grow up consuming monogamy through all kinds of different um, channels, through media and pop culture, but also just through our societal structure, laws, expectations, you know, like... I think there is kind of a process of unlearning that I I hesitate to say programming, but it essentially is Mm. Um, what I'm really excited about with this episode is that we both have various experiences in this space. I also identify as non-monogamous and I think that you captured it really well in saying that because it is an umbrella term, there's lots of different ways to practice non-monogamy ethically or, or, or otherwise, obviously we would lean towards Mm. doing it ethically, but there are plenty of people out there doing it unethically. I have stats. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> so uh, late 90s, there was a survey done by a senior policy advisor for the World Health Organization that reported that 40% of sexually active 16 to 45-year-old Germans admit to having been sexually unfaithful. 50% of Americans... of British, 40% of Mexicans, 36% of the French, and 22% of Spanish people. And then there was also a study done in 2018 by Relationships Australia that estimated more than half of all men and nearly half of all women have cheated at some point. And this is, this is, like, that's huge. They're huge numbers. And I think that it's really powerful to recognize that People have urges and desires and wants and needs. And it's kind of insane to put that all on one person. The difference between cheating and it being ethically or consensually non-monogamous is the boundaries that we lay in place and the communication that we put down. And I just, it kind of blows my mind that there are such huge stats of people cheating, but people are still so apprehensive when it comes to changing the rules to be able to make space for different structures? I always think of, I had a conversation with a friend once a few years ago about non-monogamy and her 
her thing to me. We, we were talking about uh, men who put on their Tinder profiles that they're polyamorous. Mm. And um, she was just saying, you know, well, it's essentially you're, you're just a fuck boy, right? I mean, that does not exist. wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not wrong. But we kind of dug down a bit on it because I was saying, you know, well, I've dated someone who's polyamorous and he was actually one of the best partners I've ever had at communicating, at setting boundaries, having this whole, you know, everything was a discussion and it really helped me to communicate to future partners. And when we dug down, she essentially said, well, I just don't think it works. And I said, (laughs) well, and I said to her, okay, in, in that case, you know, how many monogamous relationships have you had? And they working out. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you know, probably like eight or nine. And I said, and how many of those are you still in? And she was like, none. And I said, well, why do you think monogamy works? Mm. Like, I mean, what does working mean? Like- yeah. And, and why do you think that you've heard about non-monogamous relationships that have broken down? And so that means that the entire relationship structure doesn't work no that just means that that relationship wasn't working for those people which happens in monogamy yeah (laughs) which is exactly why i would never be like monogamy doesn't work yeah like it it works for some people and it's great for some people and that's great i mean like i'm skeptical but you know i i'm not gonna be a naysayer um i think also something like so so my my experience with it has been kind of varied in terms of I've dated some people who are polyamorous, but um, also like exploring it with a partner has been quite interesting. And I think something that often gets left out of the conversation is not just, you know, individually going on dates with people or forming relationships with other people, but the possibilities that come with dating together and sort of, other, you know, various groupings and things like that, which is really quite a amazing space to explore with a partner um and often kind of gets left out of the discussion when when we're talking about non-monogamous structures yeah so i think in all of the things that i was reading a lot of a lot of things would say you know non-monogamy is an umbrella term but then they would drill down a bit and go you can essentially separate it into polyamory swinging and open relationships Mm, okay and i was like interesting To an extent, but then you're lumping a lot into an open relationship as well. Like polyamory is its distinct thing. Swinging is its distinct thing. An open relationship. There are so many different ways to do an open relationship. (laughs) Yeah, like there were some studies done that I found interesting around what people get out of non-monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. And they did a study with non-monogamous and monogamous people and said, you know, these are the things that people in non-monogamous relationships got out of it that non-monogamous people did not recognize or did not say in the survey, right? So it's like specific to Mm non-monogamous. Number one was diversified need fulfillment, Mm -hmm. which is like what you were talking about. Two is a variety of non-sexual activities. Yeah, right. And number three was personal growth and development, which was kind of what I was talking about with my first partner who was polyamorous, actually taking the time to discuss what you want a relationship to be that I think a lot of monogamous couples don't do because there are so many assumptions of what a relationship is. Oh, and you know what's wild? 
that I just thought of. <laughs> the there's parallels there between like vanilla versus kink yes. when it comes to sex. Like the there are so many assumptions and kind of like preconceived scripts and and things associated with monogamy because it's just it's it's the default, it's the norm. And so to do anything different than that, you need to you need to take the time to have those conversations to set the boundaries, set the ground rules, discuss what you want, figure out what you want to begin with and like lay the foundation, which is similar like that, that translates to having vanilla sex, which is just kind of like a, you just kind of go with it without talking about things. Whereas you have to have those sorts of conversations in any kind of kink space. So I I just, I think that there's so much that we could all learn (laughs) from non-monogamy and kink frankly (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think just a word on kind of the terminology um (laughs) you brought to my attention and i actually will admit that i didn't know this but there is referring to someone as poly or talking about the poly community is actually not great (laughs) yeah well i guess and there's there's still a little bit of debate around this (laughs) thank you (laughs) but essentially um some polynesian folks have requested that the polyamorous community refrain from using the term poly um to describe themselves and so the the preferred term from what i can gather is polyam instead of poly and you know as far as I'm concerned, that's this really small change to make to to make people feel more comfortable and, and to yeah. give space to an underrepresented and under, fuck I can't drink this much <laughs> and then talk um, to give space to an to give space to another marginalized community. Yeah, and I think when you told me this, I was kind of like, oh, okay, why you know, and then ended up in this hellhole of reddit about people talking about this and to me it goes back to you know what you were saying previously which is where the segue comes in that like non-monogamy should be about communicating and um, listing your boundaries and actually listening to people and if the community can't listen to a group of people who are telling them that a term makes them uncomfortable that to me is what flies in the face of yeah. everything they stand for it's it's just it, it's it's just bonkers to me like it's so we will refer to it as polyam or polyamory but i think in general we'll be talking about non-monogamy acknowledging that polyamory is like a is a subset of that larger group yeah so the uh, carry on with the book <laughs> This group of people have been on a spaceship for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It left Earth due to environmental disasters. Also, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real. <laughs> so also California seceded from the US and they opened, I, mean, I know, and they opened their border with Mexico. And so then they declared that their official language was Spanglish. So there's a lot of Spanglish throughout the whole oh, graphic novel. So... This group of scientists got sent off in a spaceship to investigate space plants, essentially. I'm loving this. <laughs> they, they got sent off to like uh, research plants that, that, I don't know, something about carbon, something about plants. I don't know. 
Space plants. Sure. Okay. Um, Science. Science and things. This is not the point of the book. (laughs) But they were supposed to be gone for a year. But they all made this, like, sneaky scientist pact that they were just going to fuck off. Like, so... (laughs) Fuck Earth. Yeah. So they were just like, Earth's fucked. Let's... Bye. Let's just go. And then they feel a lot of guilt about it, which kind of comes up in the generational stuff that they deal with. Oh, you don't want to have to deal with intergenerational guilt. Yeah. So there's... There's... Now there's this kind of massive rift. So there's the older generation who want to go back to Earth and the first generation who are like, uh, I mean... Your stories about Earth sounded really <laughs> shit. I don't want to go back. Like, yeah, like, I don't, exactly. Like, I don't really want to go back. Why would we go back to that? All of the first generation are also just, like, having sex with everyone. Oh, it sounds like the kind of ship I want to be on. It's like, part of me was like, I need to draw some sort of graph <laughs> of, like, these relationships. So... Rigo is having a conversation with her dad and her dad is like, so her dad and her mum are together and are super, super monogamous. And it's just, there's a lot of conversation about how the first generation just don't understand that. And are like Mm. monogamy, like earthways are so weird and this thing, but it's, it really shows in some ways, um, kind of one of the things that I got frustrated with in reading a lot of the research stuff that I was reading was the way that non-monogamy was spoken about, even by academics who were on the side of non-monogamy. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think that there was one particular article that I wanted to talk about where um, it was, a, it was a psych, it was a psychology oh, <laughs> article. Okay. Wasn't um, psychology today, was it? Yeah, it may have been. I, honestly, I kind of love this. Like, I don't love it, and so often it's kind of fucked. But, like, <laughs> I read it a lot. <laughs> so there was this... It, part of it said, you know, it's common to assert that monogamy is the only natural way to form sexual relationships and thereby natural. imply that consensual non-monogamy must be some form of aberration. And in this article... As their reference for that opinion, they quote they used a reference for an, another article that was written in 2010. Right. So, like, it's still in today. It's still so ingrained in us that monogamy is the way to go. I had this. There were a few other quotes. It was like, if you think about it, and Australia, like for Australia, this is particularly relevant. When you, when we had the plebiscite and the same-sex marriage plebiscite, so often the argument for having same-sex marriage is that, like, gay couples have the exact same amount of commitment to each other as what monogamous heterosexual couples have. And when you have the anti-gay rights movement talking they say okay so we legalize gay marriage what next bestiality pedophilia oh and polygamy and it's like you're you're lumping in (laughs) marrying multiple people with things that do not require any consent well not not... do not require that do not have any consent it's not the same thing yeah and often 
you know, we're, we're becoming more accepting of homosexual relationships to an extent kink, but non-monogamy is still seen as this entire aberration. And I read this other thing that was saying, you know, often monogamy is put as something that's not just about your relationship. It's about the greater good. And it's about societal structures and like our society is based on monogamy. And so it's often posited as like a married monogamous couple is, you know, a pillar of society. And it's so true. Like that's like it is. It (laughs) makes me so fucking mad because it feels like a lie. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's like looking at that like pretty family picture on the wall, but you know, the husband and wife are both off fucking other people anyway. And both of their kids are queer. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know? Like... <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's not what it is anymore. So I have more stats about America <laughs> mostly. Because it's almost impossible to find things about Australia yeah. and polyamory and, yeah. and non-monogamy in general. Like, it's, yeah, it was really hard. But um, in 2017, they found that approximately one out of five Americans have engaged in consensual non-monogamy at some point during their life. One in five? Yes. The same amount of people in America that own a cat. I read that too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one has an issue with people owning cats. <laughs> I mean, some some people do. <laughs> I need to pee. Okay. The expectations that we put on a relationship are huge. Mm. Um, like what you, the needs that you put onto your partner to supply you with, not just like what you need from them, but also like this idea of like, oh, I want to be with someone who, who brings out the best in me as well. And so I don't know, like when you start thinking about that, it just, and maybe because I'm, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm inclined towards non-monogamy to me. That's like a huge indicator of being like, well, it feels ridiculous to put that onto any one person and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be non-monogamous but like even just examining the kind of emphasis we place on monogamy um and also like i think it's tied into couple privilege Mm. um whether you're up for exploring non-monogamy or not i think it's worthwhile to be questioning this like dominance of this like one person ideal it's Mm. kind of nuts to me and i wonder like why would you say that you think you were more inclined to non-monogamy in in general like like what is it that that makes you think that yeah that's a really good question because i there is a bit of a debate around whether or not being non-monogamous or being polyamorous is a an identity an identity or a choice is it a structure, a, a relationship structure that people move in and out of? It can change and shift. Or is it something that people are born into, like similar, similarly to being queer, for example? Like, is it, is it an identity? Um, I, I think there's room for both. I don't think we need to be limiting ourselves in that. And I've been in monogamous relationships and they've I worked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were happy <laughs> yeah. in those relationships. And then I wasn't and they ended for yeah. all kinds of reasons. Um. Like, similar to you, I think there's been a process of, like, learning other ways to think about things and unlearning certain assumptions. And also similar to you, I think, maybe not being as predisposed to this idea of jealousy 
Mm. And jealousy is a funny one and we should talk about jealousy in more depth, but not being like immediately appalled by the idea of somebody being with someone else physically. Um, And part of me wonders how much of that is learned as well. mm, How much of that is, is based off what you think you should be exhibiting because of what a relationship is. And we definitely will. I have notes on this (laughs) about jealousy, but I, I just found it really interesting because I also think that I was inclined towards non-monogamy. And when I look back, I, when I had, I've only really had like one serious long-term monogamous relationship. Um, and to be entirely honest, part of that relationship, why I entered into that relationship was because I felt like I should have had a boyfriend mm, Yeah, by that time oh societal pressures (laughs) and that and that like i should and like i had slept with people and i'd seen people but i'd never had a boyfriend in that monogamous couple kind of way and i felt like i was in my early 20s and it was like this is i should do this Mm -hmm. because this is what people do and then i did it for a while and that relationship ended because of nothing because i was in the end, just like, I don't like this. Mm, yeah. And I didn't have the vocabulary to really think about why I didn't like it and what it was. And that partner was lovely and there was nothing, there was literally nothing wrong with the relationship except I just didn't yeah. like it. Yeah. And that's the other thing that that kind of confuses me with monogamy the more I think about it is that people change. Yeah. And so maybe... You do want to be monogamous for a certain amount of time. And then maybe you don't. And I don't see why your relationship has to end because of that. Absolutely. You know? (laughs) So I'm just kind of like, sure. Like, I just, uh, our relationship should be constantly evolving with us as people. And if they don't, then that's a very valid reason to leave that relationship. Exactly. Like, and, and often it's like boredom. Maybe it's not boredom with the person. It's that your relationship has stagnated. Yeah, Totally. Anyway, so we've got Rigo, born on the spaceship, parents are earthlings, super romantic, and they're monogamous. She's in love with this nerdy plant guy called called Carver, who's also into her, and they have a sexual relationship. He's also banging Franklin, who's a non-binary character, who essentially, the, the, the complication of this story comes up because Carver's sister is moving out of his pod... And Rigo starts to be like, well, I want to move into his family pod, Carver's family pod, because I feel like we have a special connection, right? And, and I want to, that's, that's the step that I see us taking. Carver is sleeping with Franklin. And to be honest, I mean, even though it's not explicit, I'm pretty sure they're all sleeping with multiple <laughs> people. These are just the ones that I literally saw pictures of them having sex with. <laughs> So she, Rigo finds out that Franklin has asked Carver if they can move into his pod. So that's the complication. She doesn't feel good about that, mm. um, but she doesn't want to put her um, ideas above kind of what their relationship is. She doesn't want to be like, well, my relationship is more special. Mm. And she gets upset 
So do they talk about this sort of stuff explicitly or is it just... Yes. Okay. It's like explicitly. So so it, you have the whole thing where she doesn't tell Franklin that she's upset. She just says, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then she goes to talk to this other guy who's called Hex, who seems to be kind of like a, a the leading political man of like the first gen. Okay. Because <laughs> this is volume one of this series, so I'm sure there are like other yeah. things that explore these other options. And they kind of talk about her feelings and the ship has this saying called um, honesty keeps us alive. Oh. That's the ship's saying. So the idea is that they're all honest with each other and they all communicate with each other. And if there's problems, they go to like this group meeting where they all talk about it. I and mean, that sounds like it's anarchy. <laughs> but actually, speaking of which, this whole like premise sounds a lot like relationship anarchy. Yeah. Do you know much about relationship anarchy? Not like more than I can assume. Yeah. I haven't like looked into it. So like for those who haven't heard of it before, it's essentially just like a way of looking at relationships of their own merit. Like you're not bringing any kind of assumptions or any kind of like standard structures to it. Essentially, like, I think the the metaphor that I like is, like, instead of refurbishing a house, you're building a house from the ground up every time. Mm. Um, And you're always setting new rules and structures and boundaries with each person individually, um, not based on, like, societal pressures. And Sarah Merck has written a book called Sex from Scratch. Oh, yeah, right. Which yeah. I, I I haven't read, but sounds like it's essentially about building relationships from the ground up every time. So it sounds yeah pretty similar. It, it sounds like she's taking some sort of like some ideology from relationship anarchy. I think it's a cool concept. I yeah. Think it's, it sounds like a lot of work to yes. be constantly unpicking things. Um, and I admire that. Um And I'm also kind of like exhausted by the thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So Rigo's talking to Hex about this. He goes down on her in a zero gravity (laughs) room. Oh my God. (laughs) Abby's just shown me a picture of it. If you swipe across, it goes to the next one where she comes. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) What What does chucha mean? It's a swear word in Spanish. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I know that it's like... Oh, she looks like she's having a great time. Yeah, I know. So, you know, they're talking about their feelings, and then he also goes down on her (laughs) in a zero-gravity room. And then she's like, you truly are an inspirational leader for our generation. (laughs) I mean, it sounds inspiring. (laughs) And she, she talks to Hex a lot about the pros and cons of being exclusive, and she's really worried that um, her feelings for Carver are like too earthy oh. and, you know, too olden times. Yeah. And she's, she's becoming more and more like her parents, essentially. And so he says, you know, what's our protocol? Honesty keeps us alive. You should actually go and talk to Franklin about how you're feeling. Yeah. And so she goes and interrupts Franklin in the middle of sex with another woman who's like this beautiful femme character who's also very wise. One of the great things about this book also, characters get interrupted during sex a lot. And, I mean, a lot of it is because they're on a spaceship, right? It sounds and, like they're also having sex and a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the chances are high. <laughs> Honestly, like, sign me up. Yeah, and then so they get interrupted and then they just carry on their conversation naked with someone else who's, like, fully clothed who's interrupted them. 
Which is, which I loved. Like, is this weird little detail that yeah. I really just loved that, you know, they were obviously having sex. Someone interrupts them and they're like, oh, time for a chat. Okay, let's just chat. You go. And then they go back to having sex. So it's like, it was quite beautiful. It was like, no one has really developed these feelings of shame yeah. around oh, their bodies. And imagine this utopia. <laughs> I know. So when she goes and talks to Franklin interrupts them having sex it comes out that franklin is unhappy with the idea of her moving in with carver because they're worried that if they move in they'll become exclusionary and really coupley and have personal jokes that they won't share with franklin even though both of them sleep with them mm. and you know they'll be they'll be on the out classic struggle <laughs> yeah so I thought this was kind of a good time to talk about something that I've actually kind of discovered through this podcast, even though I, I guessed at it, but, but looking into the literature is actually something that I'm incredibly passionate about and get quite angry about is the idea of hierarchy of relationships, Yeah, which is what you were talking about with, with relationship anarchy. It's been a constant struggle through for me throughout my dating life is the idea that I do not prioritize romantic partnerships over my platonic friendships. Mm, yeah. In fact, I prioritize my pl- platonic friendships over my romantic partnerships most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd never really thought about that critically. I'd just kind of been like, well, it makes sense to me because these people have been there when I've had problems. Totally. And they'll be there long after your romantic partner. Yeah. Assumedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's something that's actually kind of gotten me into a fair bit of trouble with dating is yeah. that it's just like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. And we've had many conversations before about all kinds of instances in the way that society is structured to prioritize and privilege couples over single people or any other, any other relationship structure you know even simple things like if you ever want to buy a house Mm. the prospect of you doing that as a single person is so much more unattainable because the entire system is structured around people coupling up which is frustrating because it just reinforces this prioritization of romantic and sexual partners above others when I mean, the reality is, is that unless you're one of those people who just gets into a relationship and ditches all of your friends, in which case, like, you need to reevaluate your <laughs> shit. Like, friendships are so important for meeting all those other needs that your partner can't give you. you yeah. Know? And it's, it's these strange things, as I've thought about it, there are things that um, I often struggle with that happen that if I bring them up, I sound like a bitter totally, single yeah. person trying to like shit on a couple's happiness. And yeah. like, we've definitely spoken about, you know, a few years ago, it, it became really apparent to me and I still don't like it. The fact that if I am traveling somewhere and it's me and a single person and a couple that the couple get the double bed <laughs> and I get the weird bunk bed <laughs> for children with the other single person on the bunk on top of me or whatever. And it's not discussed. Like, it's assumed. 
is like, well, we're in a couple, we sleep together, you're not, so you get the bed for a child. Which is also ridiculous. It's like, well, are you going to fuck in the same room while I'm here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what? Yeah. And it's like on... I mean, if you are, like, let's have a chat about it <laughs> first. <laughs> and maybe I'll get involved. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. At least give me an invite. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so I understand that um, people who are in couples kind of want to be physically close. And and I can understand that what, what bugs me is the assumption. Yeah. Is this like, well, we get the bed, you don't. And it's such a small thing. And if you ever bring it up, you're petty. Yeah. You You know? (laughs) But I think like now's a really good example, like living in coronavirus is a really good example of when it comes to social distancing and the kinds of um, rules that we put in place about who you can and cannot see. Um, And in Australia, at least there's, Generally, it's generally accepted or there's been an uh, exception to the rule being that if you're in an established relationship with someone that you can go and see that person. And the thing that's really frustrating about that is that it, it from a government level is essentially saying those romantic and sexual relationships that are already established and, you know, by assumption monogamous mm. um, are more important than the connections and relationships you have with people in a platonic way. And if you're single, your needs aren't as great. Yeah. And if you're single, you need to isolate from everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I live with someone who's who's in a couple. And that is something that I was furious about. And he doesn't entirely understand. And again, you come off as incredibly petty. Yeah. You come off as being like, well, you shouldn't be able to see anybody either. And I'm like, but the fact is that I'm being asked to sacrifice a lot more because I'm not in a monogamous relationship than what you are being asked to sacrifice because you have sex with the same person every single time. Yeah. It sends a very strong message about the kind of value and prioritization that we place on certain relationships. Yeah. And so this kind of feeds into the idea of, of jealousy, I think, a lot. Mm. And I read some really good stuff on on this, which I hadn't I hadn't really conceptualized it in this way before, but it essentially says, you know, the idea that in friendship the lack of jealousy is a virtue or even a prerequisite to true friendship. But in erotic love, the presence of jealousy is a is a virtue, even an emblem of true love. Kind of like a signal of like how strongly you care about someone that you get jealous about it. Yeah, but I also think it's insane because I get jealous of my friends. Oh yeah, you know, like like the but but I think like they explain it a bit more, and I think to summarize, it's essentially in friendship, jealousy is the jealous person's problem. Yeah. In a relationship, jealousy is the other person's problem. Yeah. And that, to me, is like, that summarizes it, right? If I feel jealous in a friendship, I immediately go, that's on me. I need to deal with this and I need to work through this in some way. But so often in particularly monogamous relationships, when you feel jealousy, it's like, this is on you and you need to change your behavior so Mm. I don't feel jealous anymore. I mean, that's such a good point. And I think that it really... It, it comes back down to this idea, and this is a really um, common idea in, in, I guess, non-monogamous ideology, is this idea that jealousy is often pointing at something else that's going on. So, 
for example, like I think we use jealousy as an overarching term for any bad feeling that we get. But so often it could be like, well, am I feeling like my needs aren't being met? Am I feeling a fear of missing out? Like my partner's doing something that's fun and I want to be involved. Am I feeling insecure? Like that person that my partner's dating is hotter than me or better at sex than I am. Um, all of these different kinds of things that when you like dig a bit deeper are pretty solvable, but often also again on you, not mm. on the actions of your partner. Like there is a really distinct difference between you having a reaction to something feeling jealous, working through it versus somebody breaching a boundary. Mm, and then definitely. you have a, like a right, like a fair enough reaction to be upset about it. That's a very different thing to having a reaction to something that's within the scope of the boundaries you've set, but it's raised a feeling in you that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. You know? And non-monogamy is not about not being jealous. Yeah. Like that's, that's just not what it is. It's if you've, it's, it's about communicate. Like everything just comes back to communication. It's about if you are feeling jealous, communicating that. Yeah. And, and being and, able to own it, being like, this made me feel things and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And it's also not about saying that jealousy is bad. Yeah. Like totally. jealousy is not inherently bad. Yeah. It's, it's just about working through why you feel jealous. And if that is because of an insecurity, then maybe that's a boundary yeah. that you need to set up. That's what boundaries are there for. Or maybe it's an opportunity for more self-reflection. Yeah, and I think one of the articles that I read which really struck home for me was an article called What's Queer About Non-Monogamy Now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw but, it. I didn't read it, but I saw it. Yeah, um, highly recommend. It's by Eleanor Wilkinson. It's written in 2010, and it really reflected a lot of what I feel feel about um identifying as queer because i am a a mostly heterosexual cisgender woman who is non-monogamous i don't feel um queer enough which i think is like is, is, is a problem for a lot of people but also i feel like queer spaces continue or a lot of queer spaces continue to prioritize romantic coupledom Oh, 100%. And so um, Eleanor Wilkinson talks a lot about, you know, the fact that the values found in polyamorous relationships actually mirror the existing values of contemporary love. When when the non-monogamous community tries to make their ideas more mainstream, they posit them in this way that's saying like, but we still love each other. We still have these incredibly committed relationships with each other and it's essentially conforming to a monogamous idea of love but with multiple people yeah which rather than being mm. like actually i am promiscuous and that's okay i have sex with casual partners and we still respect each other yeah you can have both <laughs> <laughs> you know and and so wilkinson talks a lot about this idea and she essentially says that you know non-monogamy could be a really a really good space for radical rethinking of relationships and part of that is to dismantle the idea of the hierarchy of of a couple and include like rather than saying that polyamory is many kinds of lovers saying polyamory is many kinds of love 
Yeah, right. Okay. Including cool. things like platonic or, you know, these other things. And also including things like being single mm. and still being non-monogamous. Yeah. Those kind of things that kind of get erased in these conversations. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's my opinion on hierarchical polyamorous relationships. <laughs> okay. Lay it down. <laughs> yeah, lay it down. <laughs> For those who don't know the difference, so essentially a, poly- a hierarchical polyamorous relationship is one, generally speaking, um, in which you have a primary partner and then the, your other partners are kind of secondary. So often what that can mean is like your primary partner is someone that you might live with, you might share resources with. Um, they might have some kind of veto power, which immediately makes me just want to like crawl into a hole and die. Um, I am the only person who has veto power in my life, just yeah. to make it really clear. And so that, 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 that's one particular structure with, you know, all kinds of variations of that. And then as you mentioned earlier, there's a more sort of... Um, uh, horizontal structure in where you don't prioritize one relationship over others. And there's also like a triad where they would, there'd be three people, but they wouldn't sleep with people outside of the triad. Yeah. So in some cases they call themselves a, mono- a monogamous triad. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's there's also a term polyfidelity, which mm. is when you, yeah, you essentially form a group, but you're all m- monogamous in a group sense. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm fascinated by. Um, Anyway, here's my opinion. Lay it down. So it feels like within all of the realms of uh, potential of non-monogamy and how you can shake up structures and assumptions, hierarchical polyamory feels like it's still so close to the structures around monogamy. Like, it feels like you're still sort of playing in the same safe grounds of monogamy. You can appear to be monogamous. You can still have your person that you always invite to a wedding or to your family Mm. functions. You still have a house together. You can buy property. All of these... You have all of the things that you can get in a monogamous relationship. Um, And that's not to say that this is... You can't do it. You shouldn't do it or it's bad. But But you need to recognize your privilege. Totally. And also just like... It's not particularly radical, in my opinion. Yeah. To because there's such inherent power structures around that. Um, but I mean, I think we also need to say, and we've spoken about this, but just because you are non-monogamous does not mean you're political. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which is something that I have to struggle with. I think a lot of people who are who are political and have chosen ethical non-monogamy due to their political leanings have to struggle with is the fact that people choose this for a multitude of reasons. And, and I've definitely fallen into the trap of going on dates with someone who is non-monogamous and speaking to them and being like, holy shit, (laughs) you suck for me politically. (laughs) I think that it's really important to acknowledge it. Like just because you're non-monogamous doesn't, mean that you can't fall into the traps of like conventional gender norms or conventional yeah. uh you know other other kinds of conventional expectations like that sort of stuff that shit takes work and yeah. reflection and like active decisions i think it's just painful for me when it is someone who is non-monogamous because so much of the relationship is supposed to be based around 
um, interrogating those ideas. Yeah. And so if you say I'm non-monogamous, but then you hold these other ideas that you obviously haven't interrogated, that to me throws a question on how well you practice ethical non-monogamy. Yeah, absolutely. And it should. Mm. It should. Because I think, unfortunately, it can happen that people have this idea that it will be like this sexual utopia and mm. you'll just fuck everyone and it'll be great and you are it's a lot of work it's so much work <laughs> um and it, i think it, the rewards are huge but it, coming back to your friend like there are a lot of fuck boys out there who's try to like treat it not just men <laughs> fuck people a lot of fuck people <laughs> who treat it as like a ticket to being an asshole yeah essentially um <laughs> So to finish up on the book, (laughs) (laughs) essentially when she starts talking to Franklin and they're chatting through their feelings and Franklin says to her, you know, how about this? I'll tell you if I get sad. And Rigo says, you know, that sounds good. And also you can still sleep over all of the time. Right. And then she goes and talks to Carter, nerd boy, about her feelings and also about getting head in the zero gravity room. (laughs) Yeah. And his response is like, oh, that both, they both sound like very nice experiences. (laughs) And she's like, thanks. On that, have you heard of the term, um, compersion before? No. So this is like a concept. I'll make it quick, but this is a concept in, in, in non-monogamy and and polyamory in particular. And it's kind of like anti-jealousy. It's the idea of like when your partner, has a really positive experience with someone else, instead of feeling jealous, you feel like really happy for them and really elated for them. And it's kind of like a bit, it's kind of regarded as like the, the gold, gold standard of, um, of non-monogamy. The really interesting thing about it, and I think that comparing it to a friendship, a platonic friendship is really valuable. You can feel both. Like mm. if you, if you, Abby, you, <laughs> um, not the broader you, <laughs> If you were to, you know, get a really amazing job opportunity, I can simultaneously feel really happy for you, proud of you, excited for you, and also feel a bit jealous at the same time. It's very possible to feel both. (laughs) And most of the time people do. Yeah. Like, I don't think you've ever told me a good news story that I've not been like, yay, but also no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same. I think that's actually the more natural thing is that you're like, yay, but no, but because you're my friend, I know that the appropriate response is the yay and the no is just me being jealous because I also want to be succeeding in some way or I want to be doing this. Yeah. But for some reason when sex is involved, it becomes no. (laughs) But I think also like there's a practice involved in that. Like Mm. you can really try to feed one over the other and that takes like conscious effort you know anyway but so yeah. the idea of this character being like that sounds good <laughs> yes. compersion, good I times. <laughs> yeah yeah so then he's like okay and i have a surprise for you and gets her to close her eyes walks her somewhere and then she and then he's like open her open your eyes and that's not a wedding proposal <laughs> is it no. plot twist <laughs> and he's decorated his pod Um, in colors that he knows she likes and she was like and he's like I would like you to move in with me Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and she 
like she's already told him that she'd been struggling with this whole thing and and now she's like oh that's that sounds really great and then they talk about how they're both worried that them moving in together will mean that they become more exclusionary and that this is going to be a problem so they both kind of talk about essentially how they're going to make it better they also bang <laughs> I mean, win-win. Communication and, then, and fucking. Um, and then one of the best things is that she then goes to tell her parents and she like knocks on the door, goes in and she's like, hey, I'm going to be moving into this thing. And they're like, oh, great. And she's like, I thought you'd be sad. And they're like, oh, yeah, super sad. Don't turn on the lights. Don't turn on the lights. Uh-oh. What were they <laughs> and doing? And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, turn on the I'm going to go back. And then she goes back and then the next like frame is her parents and it's her dad cuffed to the bed with like impact marks all over his back oh my God. and her mum with a belt. <laughs> love it. I love was like, it. love that. But that's a side note. So then they bang and then the final part of it is essentially Carver wakes up, the nerd boy wakes up and um, she's there with all of their friends who they've all had sex with in this little thing and they're all having breakfast and he's like, Oh, like leave me alone. And they're like, no, like this is, this is what our life is. Like, Hey, and they're all just kind of friends. It sounds like a classic case of kitchen table polyamory to me. (laughs) Have you heard that term before? No. Okay. So that's an idea where essentially you have your partners, um, and they have their partners and whatever. And the idea, the term comes from this idea of being able to sit down at the kitchen table and you all have a cup of coffee and you all get along and you're friends and you can all hang out, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, confession, I fucking love the idea of that. <laughs> like, I love this idea of being able to be so, everyone being so open and comfortable that there's, everyone's able to be friends with each other. When I'm with someone who doesn't want me to meet their partners that is a red flag yeah. to me and like for some people that works better yeah. but for others no meeting other people and knowing for sure that everyone knows what's happening is consenting and and everything is a really important part so yeah i, I get it I yeah sounds like to me you would be perfect for like a solo poly kitchen table scenario <laughs> where you don't have a primary you don't ever like couple up with any one person you still live on your own um but all of your partners know each other and like each other and get along and you'll hang out and bang and stuff that sounds beautiful <laughs> it does i wish you well I've not yet found it. <laughs> Polly, I quickly discovered, was not for me. It's a lot of... I mean, all of this is actually quite a lot of scheduling. Um, so much time. Yeah, and it's a lot of time management. Um, Polly, I just... Polyamory, I should say. Apologies. <laughs> just has so much uh, expectations of multiple relations. Like, So what to you, though, is like... So you're... Something non-monogamous, but not necessarily... Obviously, there are other forms and structures. Yeah. But, like... I think it, I think with any title... Yeah. It kind of comes with people's ideas of what it is. That's what I like about non-monogamy, is yeah. that you can just be like, I'm non-monogamous, and it can be anything. Totally. But yeah. simultaneously, I found that a lot of men are quite scared of non-monogamy um, because they think it's essentially cheating. And they also think that if you're saying non-monogamy, 
it means that you're definitely discounting monogamy. Yeah. It's not understanding that actually it's different if you're choosing to be monogamous with someone. You can still identify as non-monogamous, but choose to be monogamous with someone at one point. Yeah, definitely. It's a distinction. And I know that we've gone over time, but I really want to talk about this other thing. Okay, go for it. So having this thing set in a spaceship made me think about what in the future you would want Oh, like if we got to like redesign society? Yeah. And that because, you know, who I am made me think about legalities. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. And so I really distinctly remember in my, I think it was my second year of law school and I was dating this guy who was polyamorous and I was sitting in a family law seminar and we were having a discussion about de facto relationships and custody of children And I raised my hand and said, well, what happens if someone is polyamorous? Or freak in the class. (laughs) (laughs) Or or has multiple partners and they all raise the child. Yeah. Yeah. What happens in that kind of... P.S. sounds like a way better job. (laughs) (laughs) And also this is the other thing about not... You know, the idea that you could actually have, um, uh, say, platonic childcare relationships. Yeah. So uh, it's it's becoming a lot more common that multiple single mothers are moving into houses I together to raise kids. Yeah. And that's an incredibly powerful relationship. Absolutely. You're trusting someone with your child. Like that's a bond there that is huge. Not as much of a bond because you don't have sex. Like, Which is crazy. Yeah. So I thought maybe people hadn't maybe haven't considered these ideas of how it affects with the law. So particularly with things like custody, our standard in Australia is best interest of the child. And the only thing I could find that was Australian based was a family law blog that talked about polyamorous couples for a little bit and said, you know, in the current climate, legal issues around polyamory parentage and custody could quite possibly become more salient here but ultimately how many sexual partners parents have is not likely to be tallied up by judges unless the children can be shown to be at the risk of neglect or harm as a consequence of parental sexual behavior. I mean, it seems to like completely like fundamentally misunderstand polyamory to begin with. That annoyed me (laughs) because I was also like the best interest of the child is a subjective, subjective mark. So if you have a conservative judge who thinks that the best interest of the child is to be raised in a, generally heterosexual but now changing but definitely monogamous couple and it comes out that you particularly if it's not a polyamorous couple if it's an open relationship if it's a particularly kinky relationship Mm. and they think that a child being exposed to things like bdsm or multiple partners corrupt the child (laughs) think of the children exactly is not in the best interest of the child that's actually a major major problem yeah there are studies on raising children in polyamorous families and essentially what they found is is that there were really no real differences to the children in this study the only one that they found was that the children raised in polyamorous environments were better fucking communicators (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so eat shit judge (laughs) So the other things that I just kind of thought of when I was thinking about this was um, the marriage laws, 
people are horrified by the idea of multiple marriages. <laughs> I mean, people should be horrified by the idea of marriage. I, yeah. And then um, partner visas. Oh, if yeah. you're a third partner or a fourth of partner course, of course. and you can't prove that or alternatively you're trying to prove that you're in a relationship with someone but they have other partners mm. you have to then lie to the government about having those other partners because Gosh. that's seen as not being in a committed relationship um wills and probate so you know what you get when somebody dies divorce one partner uses it against the other partner that they, even though it might be consensual, that they have had other oh. sexual relationships during the marriage. Health insurance, like trying to get family health insurance for more than just yeah, two people. I mean, these things are really important to bring up and to remind people because it, it's really, well, it's not easy. It's not easy to question any kind of societal norm, but mm. like it can be easy to sort of slip into this like, utopian thinking but then faced with the realities of the structures of our society there are so many points at which it would just be reinforced and like really undermine your alternative structure of relationship Mm. even things like which next of kin are you going to put which spouse are you going to put down on your emergency contact form yeah and the other thing i was thinking was like parental leave for non-biological parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like anything that's based on the idea of a family. Yeah, totally. Because our idea of a family is an assumed family. Um, so, I mean, there was a lawsuit in 1999 where a woman's daughter was taken away because she was in a non-monogamous relationship. And the judge brought, brought the trial to a halt midway through the cross-examination of the grandmother, um, said that he understood the case already said, and I quote, I'm not about to put that child back into a situation where all three of these people are in the same bed. She's got a legal husband. Make a choice. It's just that simple. Oh. So that was in 1999. As a bisexual, that offends me. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in, in America. And it, was, and it said the ACLU, which is the civil rights yeah. legal group, wouldn't touch the case oh, God. at all. Um, it would be hard to tackle, I imagine. Yeah. In 2017, there was a case in the UK where the children were described as having a loving relationship and attachment with their parents, but were found to be at risk of harm through neglect caused directly by the parents being in an open relationship. And to be fair, in that case, I think there were some instances of uh, neglect in that it was called like sofa parenting or something. But it was very important to the judge that the mother had people come over to have sex with her when the children were at home. Right. Even though the dad knew and it was a consensual non-monogamous kind of situation. Yeah. It just kind of blows my mind that like all kinds of neglect and abuse happens in duo parenting situations as well. You know, like just the, it's not, in my mind, it's not enough to just point at a different relationship structure or even just to being promiscuous, like, yeah, you know, but, and this is where, I mean, this is one of the fundamental issues with the law in general is that all of these things that are posited as, and I think that's the second time I've said positive. (laughs) I apologize. You're putting your law degree to, I can't think of another word (laughs) (laughs) that are, that are put forward as like, rules Mm. of the law 
We make those rules. And they're also subjective. Like, what is reasonable? Yeah. It's subjective. It's it's dependent on the person who is making the decision, who is very often a monogamous, cis-het, white dude who is over the age of 50. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's insidious, you know? You think about things like communal housing or non-sexual cohabiting, single parents, like all of these things that are not the norm of a monogamous relationship. Policy the laws they're all kind of against them in yeah. in that way that's a real downer to yeah, end why? on hmm. um this is why i put the story about the parents whipping each other at the end <laughs> thought that was well that i mean look even though there are all of these barriers i think we are slowly starting to see a shift in how people are starting to i mean even just like online dating at the moment Mm. The amount of people I've even noticed from like being off Tinder to coming back onto Tinder a year or two later, the amount of people who are open about being non-monogamous is incredibly larger. And that in itself is interesting because I don't put it on my Tinder profile because I, because it doesn't exclude monogamy to me. Yeah. But people interpret it that way. But people interpret it as excluding monogamy. Yeah. So it's often something that I then have to talk about on the first date or the second date to be like, just so you know. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I guess I just like to round things up. It does feel like there's a very, very slow shift happening. It doesn't feel like people have, and maybe it's just the people (laughs) I'm around and the fact that we host a sex (laughs) podcast. Maybe I'm in a bubble. Shit. I love my bubble. Oh, never leave. (laughs) Okay, so to sum up... Communicate more. Yay! Wash your hands. (laughs) Don't hug people. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Books love.